When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My friend Shannon had been through quite a bit in the past few years, and that was the only reason that I didn't immediately call the police when I stopped by her work and found her halfway through the process of climbing out of a recently deceased corpse. She was drenched in blood, naked and absolutely silent except for her exhausted breathing as she pulled herself up and out. The morgue around her was otherwise normal, and I saw no indication of how exactly she had fit inside the old man's body, but of course I was in shock. She had some towels nearby. I handed one to her as I turned away respectfully. Christ, she jumped when she saw me standing there with the towel offered forward to her, but took it quickly. Shit, what did you see? I stared at the wall of cold chambers while she dried herself off behind me. I don't know, Shannon. What the hell were you doing? I'm not some kind of freak, she said immediately. Please, just let me explain. Explain? What the hell could you possibly explain about this? I put my shirt over my nose to block out the horrid smell of the open body, but it didn't work. I waited until she showed her clothes on and finally turned around. You missed some. Her hair was still drenched in black, red, and yellow fluids, but the best she could do was to wrap the second towel around it. Look, it's not some sort of fetish, okay? There's... There's something down there. I fought down the urge to vomit as I looked down into the frail old man's still steaming body. His heart, lungs, stomach, pancreas, and intestines had all been coiled around in a haphazard circle covered in various oozes. Down where? In there. Her expression was haunted. Past the spine. Is, is this a joke? I couldn't believe it. No. I took a step closer and tried to look down the middle of the circle of organs, but there wasn't any gap between them. Then what do you mean? What's down there? She gulped unhappily. I... I don't know exactly. A space. Narrowing my eyes, I thought about what I'd seen. She hadn't slipped out of the body sideways. She'd climbed straight up as if out of a hole. The sight had been very disconcerting. It hadn't been geometrically possible, and my brain was still struggling to make sense of the memory. It was possible she was telling the truth, and there really was some sort of weird hole in this old guy's body. You're serious. I reached for a long metal tool on a tray nearby. That won't work, 
she said, stopping me. It's made of metal, so it won't work. Only living things work. You can't even reach it wearing gloves. Has to be your bare hand, which is why I think nobody else has found this. Really, I sighed. It was definitely a prank, but I wasn't one to hesitate and get emotional. Fine, let's do this ridiculous nonsense. I took the last step, held my breath against the stench, and reached straight down. After pushing between the squishy wet tissues and organs, my hand came to rest on the top of the hard bones of the old man's spine. I looked to Shannon, but she wasn't laughing. Past the spine? She nodded and gulped audibly. As disgusting as it was, I was determined to see this strange situation through. I moved my hand to the side and my fingers slipped deeper. What the hell? I frowned and leaned down closer to the corpse as my hand continued to push between what felt like a deep pile of squelching organs. I went down all the way to my shoulder until my short sleeve hit the inside of the man's back skin and refused to go further. Oh my god, you're telling the truth. I pulled my arm out as fast as I could and held it away to avoid the dripping juices that brought with me. My arm was covered in a distinctly thicker goo than the wet ring around my sleeve. Whatever was down there, my non-living shirt had not been able to enter. What is it? Shannon shook her head. That's what I've been trying to figure out. After somebody dies, there's a short window where it, whatever it is, remains. I took another towel and wiped my arm off as best I could while trying not to gag. Wait, do you mean it isn't just this particular body? Yes. She went over and began sewing up the chest cavity. I'm new here, but I accidentally discovered whatever it is on my second autopsy. She looked past me at the door. My boss is never here and leaves me to do this on my own, so I've been trying to figure out what it is. I dropped vines down a few times, but they only work if they're still attached to the plant. Meaning, still alive. Yeah. And only new corpses work. 96 minutes or so after death, there's a weird tug, and then the vines are snapped off, and I can't feel that weird space with my hands anymore. But I haven't been able to figure out anything else, because technology won't go in. It was... Disgusting, horrifying, and fascinating all at once. What could it possibly be? What could it possibly mean? So you decided to go down there yourself? She nodded. I promise, I'm not a weirdo. I just had to know. The thought has been tormenting me for months. What if that's where our soul is? Or what if it's an afterlife of some sort? She looked away. Or what if Brian's in there somewhere? That sounded like a problem. Brian's dead, Shannon, I told her calmly. You're not going to find him in whatever that hell that is. Softly, she said, 
You didn't see him die in front of you. She kept her gaze down to avoid looking at me in the eye. The world is going crazy. There's hate and delusion everywhere. People need this now more than ever. If we could find out what happens after death, they could change everything. What else could I say or do? She wasn't going to stop just because I said so. The most I could do was get her to agree to a certain set of precautionary conditions. She'd never gone more than a few moments deep simply because of sheer terror, but she'd be safer if I was in the morgue to watch over her. We special ordered the longest vine plant we could find, and I waited for her call. It came very late on a Tuesday. I spent six minutes getting there and bringing the plant. Nobody else was around, and she already had the poor teenager cut open and ready with a white blood-stained sheet over his head and legs. She disrobed, tied the vine around her left ankle, and then took a deep breath to calm herself. There's at least 30 minutes left on this one, she told me. I set my watch. You've got seven minutes. No further. Just to be safe. She nodded nervously and moved forward. The sights of a person climbing headfirst down into a steaming open chest cavity really cannot be conveyed in words. I'd popped nausea medicine on the way over and I was glad that I had. Her waist almost didn't fit, but I pushed her bare feet down and she slid out of view between the organs, which congealed back in place once she was gone. The long vine began sliding down between, and I waited with a pounding heart. What was she seeing? What was she doing down there? I was probably imagining worse than it was, since she'd had space to turn around the previous time. My mind constructed a vision of a tight organic tunnel that might close like a muscle and crush her to death. Or perhaps there was an enormous drop into a never-ending void. How could we possibly know until it was too late? My watch counted down the seconds interminably. Four minutes passed, and then five. The vine was still being pulled in. At six minutes, it stopped, and I sighed with relief. That meant that she was coming back. But she did not emerge at seven minutes. Tension in my core rose. At eight minutes, I began to pull the vine. It moved easily, and I figured I was pulling up slack until a snapped end emerged. Panicking, I reached my hand down. It was still there. She hadn't been trapped. She'd just lost the vine at a weak point in the plant we hadn't caught. I waited. At ten minutes, I began to panic. At eleven... I forced myself to focus. At twelve, I knew for certain she was in trouble. I paced around for a full thirty seconds before screaming at myself to stop wasting time. I tore off my watch and clothes, closed my eyes, and basically shoved my arms and head down into the swamp of blood and guts held open on the autopsy table. I found the teenager's spine and pushed my mouth past it. This time I didn't stop. It was easier than I expected. 
Despite the pressure from wet flesh on every side, I slid right in. The knot of vine tied around my ankle got caught on spine bones, but I reached back through the pile of organs and freed it with terrified fingers. It was only when I fell further and felt air on my face that I finally took in an explosive breath and opened my eyes. The air was a thousand years beyond vile, but breathable, just like she told me. It smelled and felt like breathing in a rotting corpse and dying diseased flesh as a veritable fog, a blood mist. The sight was similar. Shannon had also told me that this place had a dim crimson glow about it, omnipresent and without source, and by this light I saw choking miasma in two directions. Bloodless arteries opened up to my left and right, neither being big enough to fit a person until I pushed in and the muscle-bound walls relaxed to give me access. I followed the remains of her snapped vine. More than anything, I wished I had clothes on. Every single surface was alive, pulsing with a distant heartbeat and secreting dark substances that were strangely hot, cold, or even numbing to the touch. Being naked in an environment like that made me feel vulnerable in a way that brought out terror at every unexpected noise, sight, and texture. But I wasn't going to let her die down here. Her vine entered what looked like a hollow groove into a massive bone, and I was happily just to be on a solid surface as I crawled between increasingly narrow white walls lit with red. This tunnel had been carved. I could see that in the spiraling notches all around. Had the muscle tunnels also been drilled out but then later healed away the scars? It was as if some worm or parasite had dug its way through a dimension of flesh and we were merely following in its ancient wake. The smooth bone began to steepen and I guessed that Shandon might have slipped and slid here. Carefully bracing myself on the spiral notches, I worked my way down the incline with my vine still tightly bound to my ankle. And good I did. The bone spiral tunnel ended at a steep, fleshy drop-off. Shannon was there below, clinging to a solid white spur. I was still inside the bone itself, so I could only see down, but I carefully moved to reach her hand with mine. She stared up at me with horror in her eyes. Her voice was odd, distant, and distorted by rot-congested air. Don't look out! What do you mean? I called to her. As I leaned out of the bone, the view away from the wall of flesh began to open up. I'd finally reached an open place rather than a tunnel, and I could sense that if I turned my head, I would see a tremendous vista. It was the same sense I'd had a few times in my life while riding a ski lift or walking past a window on a plane. All I had to do was glance. She screamed again. Don't look! For once in my life, I listened to someone else. I didn't look. Our hands met, but both were slippery. I tried to rub the liquids off on my skin, but that didn't work. Everything was wet and disgusting. I leaned down further and offered my elbow. Wrap your entire arm around my elbow, I shouted. 
The act made the world beyond us open up a little bit more, and I could feel horrific sights beginning to piece themselves together in the corners of my eye. I couldn't quite tell what was happening out there, but if I so much as darted my gaze... She grabbed my arm and screamed in my ear, Don't look! Don't look! Damn it! What had that been? She'd sent a word, but the meaning and intonations had been alien to my mind. By the look on her face, she'd heard it too. I pulled her up with all my might, and the nightmare world outside our bone tunnel receded. Together we climbed our way back up the spiral carvings and crawled as fast as we could along bleeding muscle. The living world around did not seem to react to us or care about us in any way. For some reason I'd expected anger or hunger, at least something. If it was alive, if it was conscious, if it was sentient, we were nothing at all to it. We reached the point where the vine rose up into a seething mass of dark organs, and I pushed her up ahead of me. Then, for some reason, I turned and looked down the other direction, the way I'd not gone when I'd first arrived. The crimson-lit silhouette of a vaguely teenage boy sat curled up and crying at a curve in the tunnel. He raised his head as if he could somehow sense my looking at him. He began to crawl forward. Help me! Frozen and aghast, I waited. Help me! He screamed again and came nearer. Oh, what is happening? I was in the car. There was this loud crunch. I hit my head and I thought for sure I... He paused at hearing his own words. What? What is that? Why can't I say... Oh, God. No. Why? No. He looked at me from two arm lengths away. Are we in hell? I didn't know what to tell him. I'd never seen such agony and loss in another human being's body language before, and he still didn't know the truth. I gulped down my paralysis. Can you... Can you see me? He nodded. Help me? What could I tell him? I chose my words carefully. I, 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 I don't think I can. <laughs> Why? He whimpered so sadly I thought it would break my heart. Why can't you help me? You. I shook with a portion of the pain I was about to give him. You don't have a face. He just sat there sobbing as I leapt up and climbed... I knew the sound of that hopelessness would haunt me for the rest of my life. It was unlike anything a human being on earth could make, for it was absolute and it was forever. I pushed up out of the corpse onto the table and crashed my way to the cold, hard, dry floor. The impact hurt, but nothing had ever felt so safe and secure. Shannon sat curled up in a corner much like the boy I'd seen, and she'd given no thought to putting her clothes back on or getting the dozen kinds of plasma and blood off. She could only stare at the floor in shock, rock back and forth, and murmur. He wants me to tell people about him. Who? I asked her. The teenager? He wouldn't survive here if we brought him out with us. No, she whispered. He wants me to tell people about him. He saw into me. 
He saw it into me when I looked at him. He put his fingers in my gray matter and massaged my brain tissues without ever touching them. He said the Bible and the Quran are close, but we got it slightly wrong. A few things backwards. She stopped rocking in place and stared me in the eye. We're not going to tell anyone about... Are we? I got a towel and wrapped it around her. No. We won't say a word. And you know... At the time, I'd actually believed that. I thought I'd gotten away with it by not looking, but the corner of my vision did absorb a small portion of whatever nightmare she'd witnessed. That's why after several weeks of resisting, I couldn't help but write this. I simply feel compelled to tell people what happened and to tell people that exists. So now you know too. Hope that's not a problem. I was driving the girls to soccer practice when I realized something was wrong. They were back there, alternating between chattering happily with each other, bickering, and competing to tell me something while telling the other to be quiet. They were talking now. All normal stuff like that, at least on most days, was enjoyable background noise as I focused on driving whatever else was on my mind at the time. But as we got on the freeway and started down the exit toward the soccer field, a new sound emerged from the back. A voice, high and soft, but unmistakably that of a young boy. We're going to be late. My eyes snapped immediately to the mirror, and in its reflection I could see the girls sitting on the front row seats like always, but instead being followed by shadow and a view of receding road out the back glass, my eyes now went to the child, staring at me from the second row of seats. I had to fight the urge to slam on the brakes. Instead, I slowed down, trying to stay calm as I pulled into the parking lot of the nearest shopping center. Stopping, I turned around slowly, half expecting the boy to be gone, just a temporary phantom of my imagination. Instead, he stared at me with the same confused look that my daughters did. He looked to be six or seven, so a couple of years younger than our younger daughter, but I'd never seen him before in my life. June asked why we had stopped, but I spoke over her, my voice even but strained in my own ears. Son, why are you in our car? Did you get lost? He frowned at me. What do you mean, Dad? I thought we were going to soccer. I glanced at my daughters, who looked like I'd gone crazy. No, I, I, I knew how many children I had. That was absurd, and this, this stranger, he could be dangerous, young or not. Waving my hand at them in the sliding door next to June, I told them to get out of the car. The boy went to do the same, but I told him no. He was to stay where he was. The girls tried to complain, but I told them to hush and stand out in front where I could see them. When they had, I called their mother. Hey, hon. Did you get them to soccer okay? Uh, on the way still, but something's come up. I 
Marcia, how many children do we have? She laughed. <laughs> I hope only three. My blood went cold. Three? Swallowing thickly, I looked in the rearview mirror again. The boy was just watching me, his face troubled. Tell me their names again, please. Kevin, you're... You're scaring me, what's just... Just tell me, please. Okay. June, Allison, and Toby. Now tell me what... My mind was racing, a static filled my head. I... What? Is this some kind of joke? Is what a joke? What's going on, okay? Are Toby and the girls okay? We don't have a child named Toby. I said it as a hissing whisper, but I felt sure the boy still heard it. I didn't care. I was growing scared and angry, and I wanted whatever this was to stop. There was a brief pause, and then, Where are you? Like, right now, where are you at? I glanced around. Uh, the shopping center, right off the exit for the field. In front of that bakery we got Allison's cake at last year. Are... Are all the kids okay and safe? Yes, of course they are, but I don't know what to do with... Just... Just wait there, okay? Keep an eye on them. I'm leaving work now and I can be there in 20 minutes. Do you need to stay on the phone with me, or are you okay to wait? I frowned. She thought I was crazy. Maybe even dangerous. I wanted to feel indignant anger at the idea, but was it so far-fetched? I trusted her, and this was way beyond any kind of practical joke, so what did that leave other than something was wrong with me? Hand trembling, I rubbed my face. Sure. Yeah, uh, I'm okay. I'll, I'll keep, I'll keep all three children here until you get here. Don't worry. Marcia was there less than 15 minutes later, and she was clearly terrified. She left her car in the parking lot and drove us to her mother's to drop off the kids. Carolyn seemed concerned, but not about this little boy that kept calling Toby. She swept him up in a hug when the kids ran into the house, trotting him inside with the others while asking how their day had been. The pit in my stomach just continued to grow as we pulled out of her driveway and headed toward the doctor. We were halfway there when I forced myself to speak. So, I'm crazy, is that it? Marcia glanced over and gave me a worried-looking smile. No, you're not crazy, but I think something's happened. Maybe you hit your head and don't remember, or something's going on inside that's making you confused. I mean, shit, you, you don't even remember your own sons. Something had to happen, right? I looked away and nodded. Yeah, sure. I don't remember anything like that, but sure, it, it makes sense. We rode on in silence, and when we reached the doctor's office, Marcia got out right away and started heading toward the front door. 
and was halfway out of my seat when I remembered to get my insurance card out of the glove box. Opening the door to the compartment, I rustled around amid gum and car manuals until I found my health insurance card tucked into a holder with my card for car insurance. I was about to go shut the door back when a piece of blue paper wedged against the back of the glove box caught my eye. I glanced up, but Marcia had already stepped inside. I could see her through the glass at the front reception desk, presumably letting them know that they had an emergency walk-in. Tugging the blue paper free, my stomach cramped worse than before as I unfolded it. I didn't remember it, but it was my handwriting on the note. Just one line. I only have two children. Handshaking, I stuffed the note in my pocket and went inside, trying my best to act pleasant and calm as we waited for them to call us back. Marcia tried to make small talk and act casual, but I could tell she was nervous and scared, and I felt guilty because I knew I was the cause. My mind kept going back to that note in my pocket, but what did it really mean? Was it telling the truth, or just a sign that I'd been having problems with my memory and reality for longer than just this afternoon? When they called us back, the nurse did some initial questions and took my blood pressure and pulse readings before telling us the doctor would be in shortly. Unlike most visits, this time he was actually in there quickly, his face concerned from start and only growing more grave as he listened to my account and then Marcia's. When we were done, he raised his eyebrows and let out a long breath. <sighs> well, I see you're both worried. It's probably nothing bad and we'll get it sorted out, but I know right now it must seem scary. He smiled at me. But Kevin, if it helps, I can assure you that you do have three children. Hell, Toby is on the same little league team as my grandson, Devin. You don't remember any of that? I shook my head sadly. I... I don't. I want to, believe me, but I don't remember anything about him at all. He nodded. But you remember the rest of your life. You remember your other two children, not just who they are, but you remember specific memories of them in your life. Sure. I, I mean, yeah, I do. And Marcia. You remember she's your wife, and you remember your life with her. Well, of course I do. Look, I... He raised his hand. Just bear with me, Kev. Do you remember your job and where you live? I nodded. Yeah, we live in the next neighborhood over from you, and I work from home. And where did you grow up? On a farm with my parents and sister in Nebraska. Okay, good. So... Any other gaps that you're aware of? Anything else you don't remember or feel isn't as it should be? He held my gaze as he went on. Feels strange or off or whatever. I shook my head. No. Just... Just Toby, I guess. He nodded. Good, good. His gaze shifted to Marcia. I think it's just a trip fault in the beta section of the last inurement cycle. Confused, I looked at Marcia. What's he t- I didn't have time to scream as she stuck a black squirming thing on my face. It latched on immediately, digging into my skin as my head filled with static again. Oh god, what were they going to- 
Their house? Are they actually painting it pink? I looked around to see Marcia peering skeptically out the living room window that looked down to the Robertson house next door. I laughed as I went back to flipping channels. Who knows? He's half senile and you've seen the nightgown she wears when she's not walking the dog. We'll be lucky if they don't add yellow polka dots. She shot me a dark look. It's not funny. It'll be an eyesore. And when we go to sell our house, it'll hurt the value a ton. I nodded, trying to look serious. Yeah, I mean, you're right, but we can always grow the hedges taller for now, and it'll probably be a long time before we can move. It sounds morbid, but the Robertsons will probably be dead by then, and maybe the next neighbor will have better taste. Marcia had been glancing out the window again, but now she turned back to me. Years? I thought we'd already decided we needed to move in the next few months. Feeling confused, I turned off the TV and looked back at her, trying to judge if she was joking. When did we talk about that? Several times. This house isn't going to work anymore. You know that. Frowning, I glanced over at the dark stain in the corner of the room. Because of that? I told you it's not black mold and I can't get rid of it. She looked over at where I was pointing and then back to me with an irritated stare. I don't know what you're talking about. I heard footfalls out in the hallway and Marcia lowered her voice as she went on. But no, I'm talking about for them. Two young girls were running into the room laughing. Daddy, would you take us to the mall? I stared at them, paralyzed by the unreality of it all. Glancing at Marcia, she didn't seem to think anything strange was going on at all. And she was smiling at the girls and looking at me expectantly when I didn't answer them. Looking back at the children, I forced a smile of my own and nodded. Sure, I... Give me a few minutes and I'll be glad to take you. The bigger one came up and hugged my neck, followed quickly by the younger girl who shoved the older one out of the way and gave me a kiss on the cheek as she said, Thank you, Daddy, and ran back out of the room with the other in tow. Marcia was laughing. They're getting along today, but they're 9 at 11 now. They're already getting where they snipe at each other more, and by the time they're teenagers, they'll need their own space. Sharing a bedroom at that point won't be good for them or us. Swallowing, I tried to keep my expression neutral. Uh, yeah, I'm sure you're right. I, I, I guess I'll take them to the mall. My face felt like a mask as I stood up and left the room, and my chest was so tight it was hard to breathe. I think I'd covered it well enough, but how long could I go on like this? How long should I go on like this? Because I didn't want to scare Marcy or those sweet girls, but I had no idea who they were. As far as I knew, we didn't have any children. I made it through the trip to and from the mall and dinner that night, but by 8 I said I didn't feel well and went to bed early. It wasn't a lie. I was terrified that I'd gone insane or had a stroke or something, but I also felt compelled to not tell Marcia about it. I told myself it was because I didn't want to worry or frighten her, but I 
was the one that was frightened, and the idea of her catching on to that I didn't remember June and Allison, well, it scared me even worse. She kissed me on the ear when she came back to bed a few hours later, and I pretended to be asleep. In truth, I hadn't slept at all. By the time I knew she was out, I was sliding out of bed and pacing the house. I needed to figure out what was going on, or I needed to get help. Maybe walking through the house and looking at everything would break something loose and give me my memory back. So that's what I did. I walked through the downstairs, recalling different memories of times we'd had there. Specific memories of being in the kitchen, or the hall, or the bedroom. Then I went upstairs where I had my office, and where, apparently, the other end of the Jack and Joe bathroom opened into the little girl's bedroom. I had memories from upstairs, too, just like downstairs, just like everywhere. June and Allison weren't in any of them. Not them. Their room being a little girl room, nothing. Heart pounding in my chest, I trudged back downstairs and went and sat on the living room sofa. What was wrong with me? And when did it start? Casting my gaze around the room, my eyes landed on the damned stain in the corner. How long had that stain been there? At least a month, right? Was it a year? I didn't know that anymore either. But maybe I was wrong and it was black mold, seeping into my lungs and brain and making me forget the things I should love and remember most. Grimacing at the thought, I went to go get a bottle of bleach and dump some on a sponge. The smell was sharp in my nostrils, but I didn't care. I wanted the stamped thing gone, and maybe if I could fix that, other things would come back into focus. I spent the next hour scrubbing at it, but other than removing some old paint, my work didn't seem to affect the stain at all. Sad and exhausted, I took the bottle of bleach back to the hall closet and stuck it back on its shelf. It was then that I noticed a small patch of blue paper peeking out from around the edge of a bottle of window cleaner. A lump in my throat. I pulled it free and opened it up. It was in my own handwriting, though I don't remember writing it, and it said, You don't have any children. Sucking in a breath, I read it again, my mind spinning at what it all meant. The floor creaked behind me, and I felt something was wrong with our house. At first, it seemed too good to be true. The neighborhood was nice and quiet. It wasn't far from Marcia's work, and there was room for me to have a real home office instead of one side of the living room, like back when we were living together in that crappy apartment. The mortgage, while not cheap, wasn't bad either, especially not for a house in such good shape. That was the thing. Last month, I noticed a stain in the corner of the living room. At the time, I thought it was... Maybe mildew coming through the paint or a bit of water damage from a leak in the roof the house inspector had missed, but it kept getting worse over time, and it hadn't rained in a couple of weeks. It was almost as big as a man now, a looming shadow in the corner of the room that I hadn't been able to get rid of despite scrubbing it down twice. I wanted it fixed, but we didn't have the money to get someone to come and look at it, and besides, Marcia acts like she didn't notice it. She never explicitly said it wasn't there, but she would just kind of shrug off and change the subject when I brought it up. Like it 
wasn't a big deal or she didn't want to talk about it for some reason. So I began just trying to ignore it for the moment, but it was hard, especially when I began feeling weird. It started with me waking up in the middle of the night. Sometimes I'd sit up in bed and not know where I was or what I was doing here. Hell, I'd been married to Marcia for three years and known her for six, and there were times when I didn't know who she was when I looked over at her sleeping next to me. I felt like I was going crazy, but I tried to pass it off as lack of sleep or night terrors. I always came back to myself after I woke up a bit, didn't I? And for the first few days, that was true. But this morning, I realized I was writing a note to myself on a piece of blue stationery I'd gotten as a gift a few years back from my Aunt Emma. Wait, was that right? Would it be blue or... My hand had stopped mid-pinstroke as I got lost in my thoughts. When I came back to what I'd been doing, I read what I'd written so far. Marcia isn't your... Honey, what are you writing over... There, in the corner. Do you see it? The real estate agent looked over where I was pointing, dubiously, before sucking the air between her teeth. I mean, maybe it could use a fresh coat of paint, but I don't see any stain over there. She gave me a cautious glance. Kevin, if you have an issue, I can refer you to a handyman, but I need to remind you that I came over as a professional courtesy. I go by my first name. I told you that, you remember? She let out a small, discontented grunt. Sure, sorry. Lots of clients. But, Scott, you closed on the house three weeks ago, and if you have an issue now, you'll have to take it up with the former owner, not our company. I grimaced at her. Look, that's fine, whatever, but I have a little dog named Trixie. A friend of mine was watching him for me while I got moved and settled, but I'm ready to go get him and show him his new house. But if it's all fucked up with mold or something, I don't want him being around it. She gave me a waxy smile. Sure, I understand. Well, I'm sure it'll be fine. Either way, I don't see anything, so I can't really help much more. Pulling out her phone, she made a face. And I'm running late. I'll email you my handyman. Good luck with your pet and all. I heard the front door close as she left, but I was focused on the stain again. How could she not see it? Was she lying? Maybe, but as bad as it was getting, wouldn't I have seen some surprise even if she tried to downplay it? And why would I try to lie about something so obvious? I reached out and ran my hand along the wall. The wall didn't even feel like a wall there. It was spongy. Not like it was damp, but more like I was touching the side of some sleeping dragon. Fuck this. I wasn't bringing Trixie into this shit, and I'd either get a professional to clean it up, or just rip out this whole fucking... Ha! Something had slithered out of the darkness at the heart of the stain and was crawling up my arm, biting me as it went. I spun away, trying to shake it off, but it wasn't just me that was turning. The room was turning, the whole world was turning, and everything becoming brighter and brighter until I had to close my eyes and... When I opened them, we were back home. All three of the kids had been quiet on the way back from their grandmother's house, though I wasn't sure why. Why had we dropped them off there on a soccer day anyway?
didn't matter. I was just tired and glad to be home again. Once inside, Marcy had told me to go sit down and relax while she heated up some leftovers. I wasn't going to complain. I felt sure I'd fallen asleep as soon as I sat down on the sofa, but ten minutes later I was still idly channel flipping when the corner of the room caught my eye. There had been a black stain there, hadn't there? I couldn't see it in this light, but it was almost like I could still feel it lurking under the surface of some thin layer of paint or polish. I wanted to go check that spot more closely, but I could wait. I didn't want Marcia to know. It might worry her, after all. A small bell rang close by, and I jumped at the sound. Not because it was loud, but because it was unexpected. I heard it again, this time closer, and as I turned to look for the source, a large black cat leapt up on the arm of the sofa. What the f- I winced as I felt something starting to break loose in my head. Strange ideas, other memories, they were dim figures circling the glowing edges of my conscious mind's circle of light, but I could tell they were getting closer to stepping into view. I needed time to think, and I didn't need to act weird until I knew what was going on. I turned and looked into the kitchen where Marcy was. She hadn't noticed my reaction, and something whispered that I should keep it that way. Reaching out gingerly, I gave the cat a brief, gentle pat on the head. Hey there, big fella. Going back into the kitchen, I saw her back was to me. I took the opportunity to slide to the other end of the sofa, away from the creature still staring at me with bright green eyes. It had a simple collar on its tag, a name. Birdie. I heard the kids coming back downstairs, and before I knew it, they were in there climbing on me, asking if I felt better now. I lied and said I did, as I didn't want to worry any of them. Didn't want them to know. Know that I wasn't sure I was married to the woman fixing dinner in the kitchen, or that any of them were my children at all. In fact, the more I laughed and joked and played with them, but the more unsure I became that any of this was actually my life. And the more certain I became of something else. I didn't have a fucking cat. Everyone, I hope you enjoyed tonight's stories. Uh, the second one was a bit weird. Granted, the first one was pretty damn weird as well. Climbing out of a body was uh, quite the way to start off a story, but I enjoyed both of them a lot. Um, the second one, for me personally, was a little more unnerving because one of my biggest, biggest fears is losing my memories like basically forgetting loved ones forgetting who I am even it's one of the scariest thoughts to me and I know it happens to people uh, dementia Alzheimer's things like that it is genuinely the most terrifying thing I could ever think of so maybe we'll get a little existential in the comments why not question I want to pose to you tonight is what is your biggest fear? And I don't mean biggest fear as in spiders or the ocean or forests or whatever. What is your biggest fear in the sense of 
something much bigger, much bigger picture, not just a regular phobia, something that truly unnerves you, scares you to your core. I know it's a lot to unpack. If you don't feel comfortable sharing, absolutely don't. That's totally fine. But I'm just curious to see if other people feel the way I do or if there's something else that people are worried about that I've never thought about. Let me know in the comment section below. I'm really, really interested. While you're doing that, I'm going to thank all of the $5 patrons and members. Thank you to Absinthe Alice, Amethyst, Amet, Ann Barry, Bubbly Panda, Caroline, Christina Smith, CT, Deborah Tychus, Elizabeth Watkins, LSG, Furious Weasel, If in Doubt, Flat Out, Jennifer Dameron, Jesse Jess Jess, Justinia Zaromsky, Karen Parrott, Kat, Kathy Flanning, Laura, Lindsay Pruitt, Melody Evans, Melissa Berwick, Mindy Bannon, Moon Potato, Nicholas Moore, Nora Nova Nocturne, Patricia Rodea, BJ Masks, Ray Clegg, Sentinel, The Nuon Gum 24, Tiger Princess, Tish Love, Triumph, and Victoria Step. Thank you all for the amazing, amazing, incredible continued support. It really, really helps me out, and I really, really appreciate it. Anyone else who shows up to these videos, listens, watches, comments down below, anyone who listens to the podcast, I appreciate you all the same as well. I hope everyone listening has a wonderful day, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are. And as always, stay safe out there and take care of yourself.